Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. <laughs> yeah, welcome everybody In the Booth. On a... Day where it's not really a snowing day here in central New York. I don't know if it's worse. The freezing rain coming down upon us in the area here, downtown Syracuse. We check in for you for In the Booth. You can join us by phone if you'd like at 437-764-ESPN44. If you'd like to uh, get involved in the show, certainly lots of uh, hand-wringing over the Orange's loss in the Carrier Dome on Saturday against the uh, Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. And not just that the Orange lost to Notre Dame, because uh, you could maybe see that coming, but the Syracuse lost to Notre Dame without its two best players. That really changed the uh, tenor of that one going in to uh, kind of a must-win category. Obviously, it's not really a must-win this early in the year, and that's kind of a, a farcical phrase uh, to begin with. But uh, that was one that you had sort of chalked up, certainly uh, was in Syracuse's interest to, to win the game and uh, ought to have been able to do it, but uh, held to just 49 points, and certainly the finish, which we can talk about and hear the reaction to from Coach Beheim for that matter. The Orange are on the road traveling today to play the best defensive team in America in Virginia tomorrow, so uh, who knows? Maybe you're looking for at this point uh, the anomaly that can tend to pop up when on paper it looks like a struggling offense against a very good defense. Syracuse is in big trouble, but uh, the Orange have found a way the last two times against a a very good Virginia team and have uh, pulled off big comebacks against them. So that's why they play the games. Ask Michigan State, right? Michigan State, the new number one, didn't appear to deserve to be on the same floor as an unranked Ohio State team yesterday. Got blasted Ohio State kind of added uh, insult to injury by hitting a half-court shot going into halftime and put the hammer down. Ohio State led by double digits the entire second half against the new number one. The polls will get shaken up today because of all of that uh, losing at the top of the polls. What was it? Uh, North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky all losing on the same day as ranked teams. First time that had happened in 20 years. Uh, Kansas Nearly lost, but able to pull it out against uh, TCU. That would have been uh, a nearly unprecedented day among the Blue Bloods. But uh, the point would be that everybody is capable of losing. Who would have thought that the NC State team that Notre Dame blasted by 30 on Wednesday night in South Bend would turn around and beat Duke? But uh, that's the way they did, and they didn't sneak up on them in the end. They uh, played from the front from throughout the day, and uh, that's why they play the games. Last night, USC and Stanford, a last-second shot, and uh, heard the guys make reference to it uh, briefly on the previous show. Uh, Steve did, because he's right. That was the same type of broken floor finish that Syracuse would have won on had Frank Howard's shot gone in against Notre Dame on Saturday. As it turned out, it hit just the, the bottom of the net. But if you're wondering... 
hey, where was the timeout? Why didn't they call a timeout after the putback basket by Rex Fluger that gave Notre Dame the 51-49 lead? Well, you can call a timeout there. In the pros, it's automatic to call a timeout there because you can advance the ball. Women's basketball, you can do the same thing. You can advance the ball up to midcourt, which greatly increases your chance of getting a decent shot. So it's kind of a no-brainer, I would think, in the pros. Call timeout. Does allow the defense to get set. But don't be terribly surprised that Jim Bayham didn't call timeout. He very rarely calls timeout in that situation. And you can point to a list of key wins where they have won by playing it out. You, They, in the end, got, as, as half-court shots go, a pretty decent look from uh, Frank Howard, a little more juice, and that one may have been in. I don't know that you're going to get a better shot by calling time out there. The one thing I do, you can debate that. You certainly can make the argument that you could, but I would say this, that Jim Bayham's won a whole lot of games by not uh, calling time out there, and that's what he uh, opted to do in this case. The Or in the argument to call time out before the go-ahead basket by Notre Dame, well, you're not going to foresee the turnover. It was just the second turnover by your best player. Uh, you had a clear-out situation for what should have been the last shot of regulation, with the ball in the hands of the best player on the floor in Tyus Battle, it just backfired in a, you know, one in twenty type situation. And uh, we do have coaches' comments on the players that did not get back defensively. We can share that for you here in, in just a bit as well. But I, I would say it's always maybe a bit jarring because sort of armchair quarterbacking one on one. You say, "Oh, call timeout." You have it. You can't take it with you. You can't. Save it up for the next game. You can't take it to the grave. But I think if you have to, you have to understand this coach. You have to understand the way he's won a whole lot of games. He does not typically call timeout in that situation, and you can see the argument for it. It's worked. If you do call timeout there, the chance that you even get the ball in the hands of Howard or Battle going toward the basket is slim. Now, now you allow Notre Dame to set up the defense. You've allowed them to kind of force your hand in a way in terms of where the ball is caught coming in, and plus you've got five uh, defenders in position. I don't think there's any guarantee you get a better shot. In fact, you could have wound up with much less of a shot or worse of one having called timeout there. Let's go back a little bit. It is a 49-46 game, and certainly no doubt as to how the Orange would approach that possession. Everybody knows it's going to 25. He brings it up himself this time. Two defenders meet him. A screen for Sadibe. Tyus for the tie. Bang! You knew he would! It's tied at 49. Well, Tyus battled 21 points on Saturday. The real issue, as uh, you're well aware, we hear Coach Beheim's uh, comments on it here in a moment, the Orange did not have enough offensive punch overall. Battle was the only Syracuse player that scored more than 10 points in the game. Thus, it was, again, no surprise that he would be the go-to man at the end, and here's how the final possession of the game wound up going down, and Syracuse going down to its second consecutive defeat. Tyus wants a screen from O'Shea. It's an inside pick. Battle lost the grip out front. Gebbin with a lead feed ahead to Gibbs, ridden by Battle. Gibbs shut off the glass. No, Fluger offensive rebound. Put back, yes. Two and a half seconds to go. Notre Dame by two. Out of the backcourt, Howard. Half quarter for the win. Air ball, and the Orange lose to Notre Dame. Well, that's how it went down in the final seconds. All happened uh, pretty suddenly there. 
Chris Carlson of Syracuse.com asked on the uh, ACC teleconference today, Coach Beheim's uh, thoughts on his sort of personnel and floor balance there at the end. Uh, we weren't entirely certain at the, at the time of just exactly how it went down, but if you watch that uh, battle and O'Shea Brissett go back on that ball as uh, T.J. Gibbs is uh, driving to the basket on a breakaway for Notre Dame with Rex Fluger trailing, and uh, they help Gibbs miss the shot, but then Battle and Brissett are sort of out of the play, allowing Fluger an uncontested rebound, and he puts it back. Frank Howard and Marek Dolezal are a couple players who were sort of in the screenshot and were made an example of uh, throughout the rest of the day on the highlight shows for not getting back. Uh, Coach Beheim ascribed that more to a mental lapse than to a lack of effort. And if you notice, Coach this year has been above and beyond in terms of his applauding the mental approach, I'm sorry, the uh, the effort of his team uh, throughout the year. Uh, and here's what he said today on the uh, teleconference. Quote, I think our two guys made a horrendous mistake. I think they thought the clock was going to go off, and that's the only explanation I have for it. Neither guy had an explanation. It wasn't effort. They completely lost their mind in terms of the clock. No one on our team plays harder than Marek Dolajai. No one. I would say no one in the league or country plays harder. I think both he and Frank thought the game was over. Obviously, it wasn't over. It was a horrendous mistake. If they both hustled down, there would have been no basket. So that's a really tough pill to swallow as the game is lost, and it looked like you just didn't have enough bodies and going for the rebound. But again, it was the 21st offensive rebound of the game for Notre Dame. The other 20 had an impact on their winning the game as well. The Irish shoot 30% and win. And I think everybody was caught flat-footed. I even said on the broadcast that right before the clip you you heard there, for all intents and purposes there, Syracuse should have taken the last shot of regulation. As it turned out, as Tyus Battle made a move, the ball slipped out of his hands. You know the rest. It wound up being uh, two points the other way. And I think everybody sort of turned their mind off to the possibility that Notre Dame would get another shot. Syracuse had crossed the bridge to where it should have been a tie to go to overtime or a last-second winning shot. And that is what it sounds or feels like uh, led to the lapse that uh, Frank Howard and Marek Dolezal made by not getting back from uh, their position to the basket. So lots of uh, reaction to that. We'll uh, certainly take yours if you have it at 315-437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. We'll get to Coach Beheim's postgame comments and uh, the words of Tony Bennett, the head coach of Virginia, who, oh, by the way, has an exceptional defensive program and team. His team held uh, a top-ranked, not top-ranked, but a a ranked uh, North Carolina team to just 49 points. And what Roy Williams said was the best defense that has ever been played against any of his teams. Uh, That was uh, quite the statement that uh, Virginia made on the weekend. So the Who's are rolling. They'll probably be in the top five of the new polls. Come out. We'll hear from Tony Bennett in advance of tomorrow night's 8 o'clock game in Charlottesville. Later on the show, we'll be visited by Tim Brando of Fox Sports and Raycom. Certainly no shortage of opinions about the college football playoff, and he's been around the uh, ACC a bunch early in this season, too. So we'll uh, pick his brain on those things. You're in the booth. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. Tomorrow, Syracuse heads to Charlottesville to take on Virginia. Orange pregame at 6.30, tip time 8 on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200.
This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Sounds like a good idea. We'll be there in Charlottesville tomorrow night at beautiful John Paul Jones Arena. The Orange and Cavaliers. Syracuse has won the last two games in dramatic fashion. Last year's was the uh, 1,000th win for Coach Beheim. Wink, wink. Uh, coming back in the uh, second half to do that. And before that was a little thing on Easter Sunday in Chicago when Syracuse was down 16 early in the second half and uh, rallied to win to go on to the Final Four. So Virginia certainly has uh, Syracuse in its sights. The uh, Cavaliers are an extraordinary defensive team. Knocked off North Carolina on Saturday, permitting just uh, 49 points for the Tar Heels in that game. And uh, Virginia moving on after the loss of its outstanding point guard, London Parentis, among others. Roy Williams thought that maybe it was the best defense that's ever been played against the team he's coached the seventh time this year that uh, Virginia held an opponent below 50 points. And uh, Syracuse might even be a candidate for that to happen again, as you'll hear from uh, Coach Beheim here in a moment, because uh, that would be Syracuse's weakness against Virginia's strength. As we get you his comments, we'll start with his opening remarks from Saturday following the Orange's 51-49 defeat at the Dome against Notre Dame. We're just having trouble scoring. Our defense has been good all year. I thought Notre Dame just got physical with us. Our inside guys are thin, and they just pounded us on the boards. But we really recovered. We made a couple real bad turnover mistakes during the game and the one at the end of the game. But we're going to be in those kind of games. We just cannot score. It's It's been a struggle, and it's probably going to continue to be a struggle for us to score points. But they're battling as hard as they can. But this was the first game that somebody really got physical on the boards against us, and we could not rebound. And the rebounding, it's been two games in a row where two things that have happened that didn't happen in any other game this year. First of all, Syracuse had the halftime lead and lost, both at Wake Forest and home to Notre Dame, and were out-rebounded in both of those games. And uh, we'll kind of get to Coach's uh, thought on rebounding here in a second, but that is really concerning because if that has been perceived to be a strength and it actually isn't, which is uh, sort of getting revealed here against uh, conference play, then uh, what is it that you do really have? Now you've got Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, but uh, is that going to be enough to uh, get it done for you? Uh, As for the idea of the defense, that's something that Typically, the defense alone is not a concern for Syracuse. If you hold the opposition to 51 points, just 30% shooting, only 5 of 21 from three-point range with Notre Dame, you should win those games. They scored 51 points. It's not our defense. It has nothing. Our defense would have won any game. We have to be able to score points. You cannot stop, shut people out. People are going to score. And the end of a defensive play is a rebound, a defensive rebound, but Notre Dame got 21 offensive boards. So at that end of the floor, Notre Dame offense, Syracuse defense, they actually got more than 50% of the available rebounds. That, more than anything, is probably the biggest concern coming out of Saturday's loss. Not a good rebounding team. That was a myth. Complete myth. You guys 180 pounds out there. Nobody's really gone to the boards until, except the last two games. And when they did, we, had, we cannot rebound down there. Uh, physical guys, they're very physical, and they bang you, and we have trouble with that. So that's concerning. Uh, I don't know if it's in that clip or, or something else where he said, hey, we got 180-pound guys. Well, that's what you do have <laughs> in O'Shea Brissett, Marek Dolajai, Pascal Chukwu, uh, 
that would be uh, terribly concerning. Chukwu had three boards in uh, 29 minutes, something that uh, cannot continue. Uh, Dolajai, four boards, three of them on the offensive end in uh, 32 minutes of play. Barama Sidibe played the last 10 minutes when uh, Chukwu got in foul trouble. You see Coach Beheim go down the bench like, hey, can you go? Uh, yes, I can go. And in Barama went. And uh, he played pretty well. Had a couple of drop-offs from Frank Howard to uh, ring the bell for four points. But uh, for him, two boards and Chukwu. So your centers in 39 minutes, 40 minutes of playing time combined for five rebounds. Notre Dame has a couple of big dudes. And that's without Bonzi Colson, who's just 6'5", but wide and and a very good rebounder. Martinez Gebbin had 14 rebounds in the game. He's a big dude. After that, not as much, but Elijah Burns, big body. John Mooney, big body. They had a couple of rebounds apiece. Austin Torres, a big dude. He had no uh, rebounds. DJ Harvey, the freshman, had nine for uh, Notre Dame, so they uh, got the job done. And Rex Fluger, who plays a lot on the perimeter, he's 6'7", and a pretty well-put-together veteran player. He had the most important rebound of the game. Well, it doesn't get any easier for the Orange as they now take on a uh, Virginia team that year in, year out is among the nation's stingiest defenses. Virginia's best defensive team in the country. I think they held North Carolina to 49 points today. That's a tremendous challenge for us. No question about that. They're, they're playing great. They have great defense. They have great offense this year. I think they're showing that they're probably one of the top five, six teams in the country. It'll be a great challenge. So, very challenging week with them in Florida State, too. We expect when the polls come out uh, later today that Virginia will be in the top uh, five or six nationally. And then it's uh, Florida State, who uh, Miami did beat last night. Their little guy, Chris Likes, uh, had nearly 30 points, a career high for him. He's a fun player to watch for Miami, but they did beat at home Florida State. Florida State has uh, size and athletes all the time. Syracuse did lose to them the last time. Uh, down there in Tallahassee. So the Orange, who have lost two in a row in, in games again where they had halftime leads and second-half leads, now face two of the more difficult teams on their uh, ACC schedule here on the road. And then really, we'll see how these games go. Then you got to hunker down against the Pittsburghs and Boston Colleges of the world that are on the other side of these two games. As for Tony Bennett, the uh, outstanding head coach, at uh, Virginia, if you listen to Coach Beheim as often as uh, we do and the, the things he says, uh, Beheim has uh, very consistently uh, identified Bennett as somebody he would consider among the very best coaches in the country. Bennett's in his ninth year in Charlottesville, has uh, just over 200 wins now, and uh, they really clamp you down on the defensive end. But Bennett was asked today about Syracuse's defense as it relates to the variety that you see in the ACC. In Syracuse, you know, they they pride themselves. Um, you know, a lot of teams will talk about defense, but but they're one of those teams that really hangs their hat and prides themselves on on being as good as they can be defensively. And they um, they certainly have shown that, of course, with uh, what Coach Beheim's done over the years, but even this year defensively um, with their length and their their excellence in terms of how they play their zone. That's uh, that's always something you have to prepare for and be ready for. And we know because of, you know, like us and them, we, we both really try to to hang our hat on that defensive identity. So uh, that's whether you have, uh, you know, who you played before, who you haven't, quick turnaround, yeah, that's that's a challenge. 
well, Virginia has here and there been limited offensively, but when you've got Malcolm Brogdon, you're pretty good. You're in games. Uh, Syracuse beat that team in the Elite Eight in, in Chicago. London Perendis, pretty good player, able to step out and knock down threes. But now what they've got is Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, uh, two outstanding uh, perimeter threats. They've got uh, Davon Hall, who uh, has been handling the ball for them for the most part. Isaiah Wilkins, uh, you'll hear from uh, Tony Bennett, the guy that uh, he expects to see attacking the zone. As for the specifics of the Syracuse zone defense and what makes it tough, Bennett pointed to uh, the Orange's shot blocking, particularly that right around the rim. They have great rim protection. That that really anchors the defense. And again, their um, their length on the perimeter, and they put pressure on the ball, and then um, their length at the rim because of their size, and just that's always been a I think a key component of his. He recruits so well to the to that defense, and and the guys fit with the size on the perimeter, and then the rim protection um, at the at the basket. So yeah, there's. You got to be very precise, and you know, of course, you have to make some outside shots, but you have to be good at the rim and do all the things um, that are important against that. The Orange uh, rank in the top ten in the country in blocks per game. Pascal Chuku now. This is an incredible streak. I don't remember this uh, any other time. Uh, I'd have to go back to Atan Thomas to to look for him or, or some of the the really top shot blockers that Syracuse has had. Chuku himself has had at least three blocks in eight straight games. Had four. On Saturday, the Orange is a team ranked in the top 10 nationally in blocks per game and in the top 30 in steals per game. Bennett thinks that he might put uh, Isaiah Wilkins, his versatile player, in the uh, sweet spot of the zone. It's always uh, something you look to identify when you're scouting an opponent. And in Virginia's case here, to uh, go to Wilkins, they would do it with a senior and the son of an NBA great. You're not going to fool Syracuse very few sets work the the zone is smart it evolves it changes but um of course at times you you have to have guys that can either make some plays or make the right decisions and get the catches in the high post area and, and play it um and they they again do a good job of shortening your time in there and again there's protection at the rim so um different guys at different times and isaiah's had uh, quite a few looks at that and uh, that that's a, an important spot and an sport important um, player for us in that position. Isaiah, as in Wilkins, son of NBA Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins, and uh, Isaiah Wilkins is averaging seven points and a team best seven rebounds so far. We mentioned Kyle Guy and uh, Ty Jerome, a, a couple of sophomores. They were brought in at the same time. Excellent shooters, tough players, kind of instigators, and uh, Guy's the the one with the man bun. He's the, the type that uh, you look at him, and I'm sure opposing fans uh, like to hate him, but uh, he is stone cold and and uh, hits big shots with deep range. He is shooting 44% from three-point range so far this year, and Jerome 46% with Hall. That's another guy in the mid-40s in terms of uh, three-point percentage. So Orange are going to have their hands full tomorrow night with an 8 o'clock start at John Paul Jones Arena. Of course, we'll have the broadcast for you. As the week continues, we'll have the Jim Beheim Show at 7 o'clock Thursday at Shaughnessy's in the Marriott Syracuse downtown, Then it's back on the road Friday day and evening for a Saturday afternoon game in Tallahassee, Syracuse, and Florida State. More to come as we roll along. Do We Care is next in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do We Care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. 
tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. Ticket prices for the Alabama-Georgia game are the most expensive in the history of college football. The average price for the college football playoff national championship is $2,300. That's a giant leap from $1,600 for the Alabama-Notre Dame matchup in 2013. Well, you got two... uh... First of all, it's great geography in this case. Maybe not for everybody's uh, interest, but for the uh, ticket sellers in the secondary market, for sure. You've got uh, an Alabama program that's as fervent as any. You've got Georgia, who hasn't won a national championship since 1980, and they're right down the road in both cases, particularly Georgia is only an hour away in uh, Athens and all of their fans there in Atlanta, uh, reminiscent of when Syracuse was in the Final Four the last time it was in an arena back in uh, 1996 down at the Meadowlands, so uh, the uh, ticket brokers in this case are licking their chops, and uh, no surprise at all that this one is uh, a top ticket. Matt, you mentioned this at the top of the show. This week's AP Top 25 is out. Villanova reclaiming the top spot. Villanova was number one for most of December. West Virginia moving up to the number two spot. Virginia, Michigan State, and Purdue rounding out the top five. West Virginia is really good. Obviously, all these programs are. I mean, Purdue is a is a uh, Johnny come lately, relatively speaking, to the rest of these. Uh, Villanova deserves to be there. West Virginia is awfully fun to watch. They're on a roll. They lost their first game of the year against uh, Texas A&M in Germany. They've won every game since. They uh, quote-unquote held uh, Trey Young of Oklahoma to 29 points the other day, but locked him up, and, and uh, West Virginia uh, had the lead for a great part of that and won in Morgantown in a matchup of top tens. And then Virginia that we talked about, that's uh, two teams – not even teams, two programs that really make a commitment on the defensive end, recruit players that want to play tough in your shorts defense, West Virginia and Virginia. So uh, they're going to win a lot of games this year, both of them, and uh, they'll both be uh, high in the rankings for uh, much of the season. And this last one, Matt, was a topic of conversation around the office today after speaking last night at the Golden Globes. NBC sent out a tweet proclaiming Oprah Winfrey as the next president of the United States. The network then deleted that tweet. What was it that she said? I, I just caught a little blurb that uh, she was the star of the show. But what? She, she spoke at length about this being a new day for women in light of the sexual harassment scandal of the, of the latter part of 2017. Uh, and uh, gave just a, a really uh, well-received speech. Well, Oprah's well-received in general, isn't she? Yeah, see, and the, the joke around the office has been, if she does become president, uh, she would, on Inauguration Day, say, look under your seat, and be like <laughs> yeah. a new you car, get a car you get a car, trip to Australia or something. Yeah. Uh, that would be tremendous, would uh, spice up Inauguration, even <laughs> if it was only uh, selected seats out there. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm all for it. Although maybe the lesson learned is don't have interns uh, controlling your network Twitter account. Yeah. Uh, what I think what happens is people are unnecessarily daunted by social media. Oh, gee. And then they hire the next little dippy out of college to put in charge of it because they think it's harder than it is or that you need to be a young person to, to know what to do. And the problem with young people is they haven't yet made the mistakes that a lot of the rest of us have eventually learned from or haven't seen the mistakes made by other people uh, to learn from and shape, which is there's a lot of positives about that, too. It means they're creative and exciting and fresh, but they say and do dumb things. And so uh, probably not what 
NBC wants at the network level. So you're saying I have many more stakes to make over the years. Well, you're not that young. <laughs> well, that's true. Not as young as I used to be. Uh, Do We Care brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's Love at First Slice. All right, we'll chop it up with Timmy Brando when we come back talking uh, ACC basketball. And then we'll get to the heart of the matter tonight, the college football playoff national championship taking place at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. That's as we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Home of the Syracuse Crunch. Mitchell Stevens across. Here's a shot. Score! Kevin Lynch ties the game. Atkinson left side. Shoots. He scores! Picked off by another. Pekka takes it. For Lynch who shoots. He scores! Kevin Lynch with 103 to go in the third period. Gives the Crunch its first lead. It's 3-2. to two. ESPN 97.7, 100.1, 1200 and 14.40 a.m. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. We thank those fine folks. Wish you all a happy new year and first chance to... Uh, talk in the new year with our friend Tim Brando of Fox and Raycom and who knows what else. And hello, Timmy, how are you? I'm great. No, that's about it right now. I okay. think I've had to, you know, two, two entities and about seven and a half months of work is enough for me now at this stage of my life. Good how for you. Man? Enjoy those uh, grandbabies, as you say, in the golf course. Yeah. Who needs another job? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, let's, uh, you know, we're a Syracuse uh, show here, Syracuse basketball and all that, so let's start on the ACC before we uh, wind you up and let you roll about the college football playoff. Uh, who have you you've seen around the, the conference? Syracuse is struggling offensively and going to Virginia next, which is never a great recipe. No, I, you know, Virginia is just doing what they always do uh, and, and defensively breaking people down, holding North Carolina to under 50 points again. Um, you know, you always wonder if they can maintain that through the second half of the season. And they usually, because of the lack of depth, seem to run out of gas once we get into March. And as a result, Tony's not been able to get his team to the Final Four. But, you know, uh, I, I don't see the ACC as talented and as deep this year as, say, for example, the Big East or the Big 12. Um, and I think the Big 10 is probably... Uh, right there with the ACC, maybe not quite as good, but close. Uh, those are, the, I think, the top leagues, and, and the SEC is actually making a bit of a resurgence. There's sure. some reason to be pretty optimistic in that league. It's still not in the same category with the other four that I mentioned, but um, I, I can't help but not – I mean, you have to be impressed with Notre Dame, don't you? I mean, I I had that game um, when, when Bray got to 394 just before he came to your place, and he lost Farrell with five minutes to play in the first half of that game. And that for them to do that the way they did, uh, blew out NC State. And then I'm, I'm thinking, though, when they come to your place, the lack of size and no Bonzi Colson in the middle is going to be an issue. And yet they find a way. You know, it's kind of like Mike went back to that old, after he lost Herring Goaty in the Big East years ago, to that burn offense, you know, dig into the clock. And his guys just play so smartly and um, – and intelligently, and, and that's one of the reasons why they seem to overachieve even when without two of their best players. But um, uh, I think Syracuse is still on the uptick. I see a bit of an adrenaline rush with Jim at this stage with his new deal, with his son coming up. Uh, I think it's still an early season. Uh, it's it's too early maybe to, to make harsh judgments about the conference, uh, although I think um, if Duke is your – 
your best team, then it's certainly the worst defensive best team that Mike Krzyzewski's had in this league. I mean, they're playing a lot of zone. Uh, He's borrowing a page from his old assistant, Jim Beheim, because they really don't guard people. Uh, And I guess that's what happens when you've got four uh, one-and-dones and and Grayson Allen. You know, he's, he's changed, he's adapted, and that's what they're doing. But that's not an imposing Duke team right now. North Carolina, who I'll have tomorrow night, will be playing, I think, the most improved team in the league, Boston College, with those two sure. uh, outstanding guards. Robinson and Bowman have been outstanding. And, um, you know, to, for them to be where they are is no fluke. Uh, we'll see how North Carolina rebounds in the game that uh, the G-Man and I have here tomorrow. And then I'm, I'm back at, into the Big Ten and back into the Big East for the weekend. Tim Brando, our guest, I know you just had uh, Maryland, a team that Syracuse beat in the uh, ACC D- Big Ten Challenge, and they throttled uh, – Iowa, although uh, as you were you and uh, you guys were signing off, kind of saying, "Hey, it was maybe not indicative of uh, how close that game was uh, for the most part." BC is uh, an interesting study. They just beat Wake Forest seventy-seven seventy-one. BC really could be undefeated in they the could. league. You know, they they knocked off Duke early, uh, one point loss on the road at Virginia, which is uh, really saying yeah. something. And then the uh, four point loss at home. They've got uh, a really fearsome backcourt all right uh you know i I think it's a great point about duke by the way we'll kind of uh Mm -hmm. make that a a clip and save because you know to me around the league this is true of all the leagues you know michigan state just got thumped yesterday as the the number (laughs) one team in the country you can see that one coming matt i mean they i I was talking to mark turgeon prior to last night's game at his shoot around yesterday and he said look we were shooting 54 percent with five minutes to go in the first half, and I look up and we're down four in East Lansing. He said, we weren't playing bad. Yeah, we missed two of our guys, but we weren't playing badly. You know, Michigan State was just playing out of their minds. You know, and if you had said to me, after watching NC State at Notre Dame, that they would go home and beat Duke, after the performance they gave in in South Bend the other night, I, would, you know, I think what we have to understand is in today's college basketball, a little bit like football in this sense, no teams that sound dominant are as dominant as they sound. Okay, yeah. And on top of that, with the millennial cohort being what it is, how these players, because they're playing multiple games during the week, we're coming out of the holidays, the league season's just getting underway, how do they handle a half a cup of success? Not a full cup of success, just a half a cup of success. And a lot of times it's not particularly well. Uh, and that's why I think when you see Notre Dame fight through what they fought through losing, you know, Bon I mean, Bonzi's not just a, an all ACC player. He was an all America, you know, player of the year candidate we're talking about. And, and even though he was an undersized big, he was playing at a very high level. And, Without him, you'd think, well, they're really in trouble. But the, the basketball IQ of the kids Mike Bray has is pretty good. And, and I think Boston College, uh, for Jim Christian, is playing similarly right now. Yeah, I'm busy with Tim Brando. Just another couple of minutes here. You know, the last thing I'll say about the basketball is, and I, you just alluded to it, is I think the very cream of the crop is not that far separate. Right. You know, uh, Kansas, although they still have two free agents that they might be able to patch in there before the, the year is out, they're not – 
exceptionally dominant, nor Kentucky, nor you know. So don't count out the Cincinnati's, the Wichita's, the you know those, those types of teams. And you're going to hear and, about and them by before the way, the Texas Tech is the team that's really right. captivated yeah. me. Uh, Bayheim has been on them uh, for quite yeah. a while, and yeah. uh, that that's one. All right, so uh, the game tonight, and I'm sure you can appreciate how some in you know, that are geographically removed from where college football is king mm-hmm. right there in the South that you're in it, in it uh, Atlanta and in the SEC. And certainly no argument for me that the SEC is the, the top conference, but it uh, takes a little of the steam out of this game, I think, for some people, and they would love to have seen just about any other matchup. Well, I give a lot of credit to my friends, uh, many of whom I worked with in their earliest days uh, at ESPN, for doing the best they can to promote a game that most of America outside the South is simply not engaged to and not engaged in. Uh, And it's not Alabama's fault, not Georgia's fault, and certainly not ESPN's. That's the game you got. And I don't want to hear any complaints out of – uh, of Columbus, Ohio, and 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 other places, no, Norman, Oklahoma. Hey, you got to win, you know. If you, if it had been though, and it would have been if if Oklahoma had won their game, uh, if Baker Mayfield had made a play, uh, and and maybe the play calling had been a little bit better in overtime, we would be talking about the irresistible force against the immovable object. Yeah. It would have been a great study in contrast, you know, the Big Twelve approach versus SEC, and and that would have been an easy sell. I mean, it would have been an absolute easy sell, especially with Baker Mayfield playing in the game, uh, coming off Deshaun Watson's escapades over 450 yards each of the last two years against that vaunted Alabama defense. That did not happen. So Georgia, who, who I thought the freshman from played out of his mind, and I think it was overlooked by a lot of people. I mean, uh, Oklahoma really did stack 8-9 in the box much of the second half of that game, forced that kid to make plays, and he made them. And the Georgia receivers responded when they were trying to take away the run, even though they really couldn't stop Michelle and Chubb, they, they were trying to. The issue at hand here isn't um, that, that Georgia or, 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 or Alabama don't deserve to be where they are. They, they do. The problem is, because this is happening, because it is a all-SEC matchup, and that the access to the college football playoff is only going to three conferences this year out of the five that are power fives. And we have a story like UCF out there, the only team that goes 13-0 and and beat a team uh, in Atlanta in this same building uh, a week ago that had beaten both Alabama and Georgia. You got a credibility problem with regard to the flawed process with this committee. So I think it's you're going to hear it. You haven't heard it yet, Matt, but you will. Um, the commissioners of all the conferences, okay, all of them, Group of Five and Power Five, they will be they will be meeting and meeting quickly. And I think Jim Delaney will probably lead this charge, and he will have some support from some other commissioners to say that it's time now that we expand this process so we can enable more access and have more in, uh, more of an inclusionary process for these group of fives because that really makes the system look bad. It almost looks like an invitational-only brand-name fest for college football where roughly – 40% of the Division One teams are eligible and no one else is. And I think that's a bad look, and it's a very difficult sell. And even though the rating will be really, really good, and probably because of uh, the Alabama and Georgia brands do fairly well, it won't be what it could have been, whether it was Oklahoma, Ohio State, you name the brand name from outside the South. You've got a Sun Belt 
region championship only, and that's not what this was designed to do, and I think they've got to address it, and I believe they will. You haven't heard anything yet because the people involved don't want to rain on the parade of this game. I understand that. I applaud that. But I think they're going to have to take a long look at it, and there's nothing wrong with allowing the regular season to allow for the two top teams to have a bye, and, and we go with six. Would eight be ideal? Yes, it would. But in college sports, we, we move slowly, and we're react, we, we react. We don't, we're, never, we're never proactive in intercollegiate athletics. Yep. So I think it'll be a reactionary move to six, but I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. All right, my friend. Great stuff as always. We appreciate your time. Good luck uh, down there in Chapel Hill, okay? Okay, Matt, see you soon. Tim Brando, you can see him on Twitter as well, at Tim Brando, does a great job on a lot of those issues there, the uh, college football playoff expansion, the Central Florida stuff, et cetera, at Tim Brando. I'm with him. You know, an 18 playoff makes too much sense. I could live with six. It's just a little too exclusionary. The way. Well, if you want the drama, there certainly is the drama, but to know that by definition at least one major conference champion is going to be left out makes a problem. All right. Back at it on Wednesday, game tomorrow, 8 o'clock. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.